Great is the Lord. Amen? Amen. All right. He is great and greatly to be praised. So good morning, Redemption Church. We are here because of the glory and the greatness of our Lord. I love how that song was talking about His breath in our lungs, the reason Christ, the reason He created us and gave us, gave us breath is to bring praise to the glory of the Father. That's why we have breath. We're here because He has shone into our darkness, the darkness of our world, the darkness of our own hearts, as He broke in against uh, the rebellion that we had against Him and our sin. He is greatly and greatly to be praised. Open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. Our ushers would love to bring you a Bible. Just slide up your hand. If you want a copy of God's Word in your hand, that is yours for this morning. Well, last week we got a front row seat at Jesus' baptism and His temptation in the wilderness. Uh, just a reminder, if you are away and uh, you want to listen to our messages, go to our website. All of our messages are on there. You can even subscribe to the podcast to keep up with where we are in the Word of God and the Gospel of Mark. I want to thank Joel also for being here with us this morning to lead us in worship. just want to share with you, a, a year ago today... We actually had a soft launch of this church. We actually left the North Church and we started meeting at the Great Plains Recreation Facility just, uh, just north of here by about 10 minutes. And uh, we were there right until the new year, right until January uh, 21st. Uh, we were meeting in a, in a small room with a couple other rooms and, uh, and there was always hockey going on at the same time. And I remember a few times in my sermon... Uh, they would play the music between periods and stuff, and we'd have a little ACDC going on in the background. And so, but we are so uh, glad to be here. But that was a year ago. And also, if you notice, Josh is not here this morning, and Joey, well, you know what? This is the first weekend that Josh has had off from leading worship here uh, and leading all the background stuff in a whole year. And so they're away at Banff and enjoying their, I think it's a birthday, wedding combination, anniversary, anniversary, sorry. They're not getting married again. Yeah, this is their anniversary. So. so yeah, if you've got your Bibles, we're in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. Uh, last week, we got to see that Jesus is so humbly human, uh, that He came to us in full humanity, a man from a despised place and from a despised people. He came right down to our level, and He identified with us. And, and we've seen that He experienced the same things that we face. He experienced pain and, and temptation as he walked this earth and we've seen in his his baptism and as he was lowered by by john and, and pulled out of the water we witnessed the glory and the splendor of god and the trinity all at once coming together anointing the head of jesus christ this powerful display but yet it was also a very peaceful gentle display as the skies tore open and the spirit came down and then we heard this voice from God the Father. This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. Beautiful. So Jesus is, is so humbly human, and yet He is so powerfully God. And then we saw that immediately after that, as Mark always says, the Holy Spirit drove Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan for 40 days. But He came out of that victoriously triumphant this was also symbolic of, of the Old Testament, of Israel and Moses and Elijah as they were tempted in the wilderness. 
and how they've failed in their temptation. It's also speaking of our own wilderness, our time in the dark away from the Lord, and that Jesus Christ stood in our place and He prevailed where we failed. That is the gospel. He prevailed for us. So that we could have victory, we could have salvation, we could have everlasting life and fellowship with Him all to the glory of God. Well, that was last week. Well, this week we get to take some steps further in the Gospel of Mark, in his Gospel. Remember, he's got this short, kind of punchy style. And so as we look today at chapters 1, verses 14 to 20, he begins to then lead us in the footsteps of Christ as he begins his earthly ministry. And so through our time together this morning, you and I are going to hear firsthand the first recorded words of, of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. And these words will resound with utmost authority. Christ's words here are commanding. They are compelling. And they demand a response from his people. When the Lord of the universe speaks, we ought to listen and we ought to respond. Even though sometimes we think that we can leave it or take it, there is only really one response. That I will follow him. And that's the theme of our of our study here in Marcus, following him, follow me. And so before we go to the text, let's pray. Let's ask for the Lord's help. Lord, we do come before you as your people, those who have been redeemed, purchased by the blood, the blood that we've just sung about. That, Lord, that you were, you were nailed to the cross for us, that we should have been there, but you stood in our place. You prevailed where we failed as we look at your life, the beginning of your ministry here today, we're going to see that you are continually sinless, that you are perfect, that you are holy, that you are powerful, and yet you are humbly human. And so we ask today that you would teach us through your word. Lord, we know that the things of your word, the gospel, the things of the heart are spiritually discerned. And so we ask for your Holy Spirit to be pulling back the scale of our hearts opening our minds to understand what you have for us today. We trust you to do that, and we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, let's go to God's Word. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 20. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, or alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. A lot of following going on here. So well, as you've just witnessed, we see Jesus here, his he does not mince his words. He speaks as one with full authority as only he can. He speaks forcefully. He speaks, he speaks truly as the Son of God, God himself. And his message is eternally urgent. 
His authority is on display here. His authority to engage the mission through faithful men is just beginning. And so as we've already seen, John the Baptist, his forerunning ministry has been completed with the arrival and the baptism of Jesus Christ. We see the Lord push him off of the center stage. John is being removed from the focus. John himself even said that he must increase, I must decrease. And then Mark records John being arrested. And Mark will will talk about this further in chapter 6 where he details the reasons why John was arrested. Remember, he, he speaks out against King Herod and his sin. But for the sake of chapter 1, Mark wants our focus on Jesus Christ. Remember, Mark is recording what he has heard from Peter. And so we get this nondescript removal of John in order to get our eyes on Christ and his message. And in verse 14, Mark says, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And this is where we're going to get our first point of application today about responding to Jesus, and it is this. When it comes to Jesus, believe in Him now. Believe Him now. His urgent message requires your immediate response. Believe Him now. So the first detail we see here is that uh, Jesus doesn't respond to His baptism and, and His testing in the wilderness by, by going to Jerusalem right now. Right? He's not going to the cross right now. He has work that needs to be done. He's not going to Jerusalem raising the flag of victory. No, he continues on a path of humility and he goes into Galilee. So like I've said before, there's much to discover in, in Mark's short style here. He doesn't have all the details, but there's lots in what he has to say. And so we see Jesus going into Galilee, and what's going on here is he's in fact revealing further fulfillment of Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah. As the prophet Isaiah supernaturally looked forward to the coming of the Messiah, he says in Isaiah 9, 1-2, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And so we see Jesus here beginning his ministry in Galilee. Again, revealing God's eternal, overarching, redemptive plan to save the world. Something that was concealed in the Old Testament and now revealed in Jesus Christ. And so he goes. He goes into Galilee. And he does not go idle. He goes with full purpose of ministry. The ministry of the proclamation of the gospel of God. Again, showing us that this is God's gospel. This is His plan. God is sovereign to save. It is no accident. This is His plan for us. 
and that it is now, it is here, and Jesus is all about the proclamation of the gospel of God. And Jesus himself says the time is fulfilled. God's time is now. God's time is perfect. The time is fulfilled. It is complete. And the kingdom of God is at hand. And so let's just stop there for a few moments and ask ourselves, what is this kingdom of God that Jesus is talking about? What is the kingdom of God? What does that mean? Well, the kingdom of God generally speaks of God's eternal authority over all that he has made. Old Testament speaks about this a lot. Uh, Psalm 103, 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. God is Lord over his creation, his kingdom. There is not a place within his creation or the universe that is not his. It also speaks of his eternal kingdom. We've seen this through the prophecies of Daniel, Daniel 4.3. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Inside of that, we see the eternality of God's kingdom, but we also see generation to generation, there will people be people a part of that kingdom. But more specifically, here in the arrival of Jesus Christ, we see the arrival of the kingdom of God. It speaks of Christ's immediate spiritual authority and rule over the hearts of his people. And he is completely in authority over it all. We see that in what he says next. He says the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he says, repent and believe in the gospel. It's bold. This message is bold. Like John's message, it is bold. But this message is full of authority in the voice of the Son of God. He's basically saying here that the kingdom that you have been waiting for has begun. Which means it's time to repent. The kingdom is here. It's time to repent. Turn away from sin. And believe in the good news that the king is here. The verbs that we see here, repent and, and believe, they are in their original form. They are in the present active imperative and they are in the plural. Jesus is basically saying to all who are hearing him in Galilee, you all repent. You all believe. It's the greatest news that you will ever hear. It's the greatest news of all history. This was a message for all humanity that salvation is here. The plan is at hand. Things are ramping up. And it's an urgent command. Which requires the most urgent response from those Galileans. Those who would be in Jerusalem. Everybody in the world right up to this point today where we are sitting this is the most urgent most incredible message most authoritative call on your life the kingdom of god is at hand repent turn away from your sin believe have faith trust fully in the good news that jesus christ the messiah your savior has come it's the most serious, most urgent, most critical, and most loving command you will ever hear in all your life. And so let me ask you, have you responded to that command? Have you responded 
to that call on your life? Have you repented and turned away from your sin? Repentance, metanoia, means to have a change of heart, change of mind. It means to abandon your former plans of being CEO over your life. It means to forsake your godless way of living to to then also regret your sin, that you have sinned against a holy God, turning away from your old self and your old ways. And then Jesus adds this. Remember John's message of baptism? He was proclaiming repentance, right, and confession for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' message on top of that is to believe. Pisteo which means to have faith, to trust fully, to bank all of your chips, all of eternity on Jesus Christ alone. That is the good news that you believe in, that I can't do it, He has done it. And so let me ask you, along with repentance, do you believe? Do you have faith? Do you trust fully in Jesus Christ for salvation? Friends, the word believe is is watered down today. We often use it quite loosely. Even in the church, it's kind of lost its true meaning and and power. But to believe is a big deal. So I'm going to try to paint this for you a little bit here. And this isn't original to me, but it's really, I found, effective. Let's say that you were on an airplane. I was just flying on an airplane this week. But let's say you're on that airplane and you travel and you get up to 35,000 feet and the captain comes out of the cockpit and he hands you a parachute, and he says, this plane is going to crash in 10 minutes. The engines are failing, and it's going down. And he gives you a parachute. So let me ask you, what are you going to do with that parachute in that moment? Are you going to set the parachute on the seat across from you and say, I believe in that parachute? Are you going to just maybe hold on to it, you know? Kind of, kind of, well, you know, maybe I'll put it on if we actually really go down. What are you going to do with the parachute? You're going to put it on. You're going to place all of your faith in that parachute for your life. You don't put it on later. You don't put it under the seat. You put it on. You strap it on. You find every buckle and you put it together and you hold on for all of your life. That's what it means to believe. So it's much more serious than we think. Our eternity depends on it. We also have to remember that faith is a gift. We see that in Ephesians 2. It is a gift of the Lord. Something supernaturally given to you. And so think of it, that Jesus gave you faith. Hold on to it for all that you're worth. So let me ask you again, have you responded in faith? Have you repented of your sin? And are you sure? Are you sure? Friends, we must believe Him now. His urgent message requires our immediate response. There is no greater urgent message or command. When it comes to the gospel, nothing else matters. It's everything. It's the most important, most exciting, most compelling, most commanding message you will ever hear, and it requires a response from you. And we see this in his disciples. 
We see how these first disciples responded in this next section, which is going to lead us to our next point of application, that you must go with him now. His urgent calling commands your primary occupation. You must go with him now. Verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. So as Jesus, we see Jesus coming into Galilee. We see him coming into the Sea of Galilee, which was the center of life. The word Galilee actually means circle, just speaking about this lake in the middle of Galilee. It was, it was a large freshwater lake, 13 miles long, 8 miles wide at the widest place. It was rich, it was full of fish, and there was a thriving fishing industry. And so as Jesus providentially walks along the Sea of Galilee, he approaches these two fishermen brothers, Simon and his brother Andrew, and he calls out to them, and he commands them with the words, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Now Simon and Andrew, they weren't strangers to Jesus. It might sound like that if you just look at this text. But although Mark doesn't record it, the Gospel of John tells us that Andrew and Simon had already met Jesus and he'd already, they'd already spent time with him as John was baptizing him in the wilderness. In John chapter 1, verse 40 to 42, it says one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon's Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And so Jesus was not a stranger to these people. And they knew he was the one. He was the promised Messiah. And so as Jesus comes back from his 40 days of temptation in the wilderness, he aims his sights on these two fishermen. And they were busy. They were busy with life. They were casting their nets into the sea. They were working at their career as, as Galilean fishermen. They weren't, uh, this wasn't sport fishing going on, right? This isn't searching for fish in the Bow River and, and fly fishing. This is serious work, hard work, dedicated work. But Jesus calls them to so much more. He calls them to abandon their primary occupation as fishermen of fish to become fishermen of men. He says, I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. So we see that his urgent calling commanded their primary occupation. And these men, they, knowing the cost, they knew the greater cause. And their response wasn't, I'm going to come later, or maybe in a few years, or uh, maybe it's when I'm an adult, you know, as a teenager, I, I just want to mess around for a while. So some wild seed, I'll come later. No, they come immediately. 
They know the cost. They know that this would cost them their livelihood. Their livelihood of fishing was extremely important to their existence. But what was more important was following the Lord, their Savior, in this kingdom of God, on His mission, this mission of repentance and belief for the salvation of souls. These guys were just ordinary men. Men who worked hard. Men with strong backs. Men who were also successful with their hands. Men whose whole lives revolved around the sea. And yet Jesus chooses these ordinary men and he leads them onto dry ground to fish for men. To go from village to village for the rest of their lives with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are now primarily occupied as heralds of the kingdom of God. And we have to remember whose gospel account this is that we're reading. Remember Mark is writing the words of Peter. And we see Peter here, one of the first disciples, walking in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. And Mark is writing it all down. This is that same Peter who would respond to Jesus when Jesus asks him in chapter 8, verse 29, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. It's the same Peter who tries to rebuke Jesus for revealing that he must suffer and die and be killed. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. It's the same Peter in chapter 9 who goes up a high mountain with Jesus and James and John and they see Jesus transfigured before they face and they see Elijah and they see Moses appear on the mountain and Peter is so terrified and transfixed that he says that he wants to pitch tents for Moses and Elijah and Jesus. It's the same Peter who breaks down and weeps in chapter 14, as he denies his Savior three times. It's the same Peter, according to tradition, that was crucified upside down for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just an ordinary man. Nobody special. An ordinary man who believes and trusts in his Savior. Yes, he is an apostle, but he is a mere fisherman. And so we see this, this change of life, this no, no further casting nets into the water, but into the land for men. He was occupying his whole existence with the mission of Jesus Christ. Yes, Peter was ordinary. Yes, he was foolish at times. But Peter was sold out to Jesus, and his primary objective was the gospel. He lived and he breathed it. And so let me ask you, what is your primary occupation? What is your supreme path of life? What is your objective in this life? What's your purpose? What are you doing with your life? Are you still primarily casting your nets in the joys and temptations of this world, or are you investing in what's eternal? Are you exhausting yourself for the mission of Jesus Christ? Are you casting your nets for the kingdom of God? Are you sharing the good news with the lost? 
the most urgent, most precious, most incredible message you could share. Are you serving the Lord in His church? Are you giving your life away for God's glory? You know, friends, when we look at our society today and the culture that we're living in, never before have we been so rich, so prosperous, but yet the church is not prospering. And I'm not talking about money. We're talking about the fishing of souls. Evangelism is down. We're not casting our nets like we should. We're not sharing the gospel like we ought to. We're not engaging the mission of Christ as our primary occupation. In fact, if you just look at numbers, some numbers out there, in 2015 it was reported that, and this is U.S. numbers, it was reported that 4,000 churches closed their door every year in the USA. And only 1,000 churches are opening those doors. You might say some churches are growing, and yes, yes, some churches are growing. There are growing churches. But when you look at the churches that are growing, if you look at the numbers again, only 1 in 19 of those people in that church actually came to that church from conversion. The rest have come from other churches. And so we are a church that believes in courageous evangelism. We, we put that on our, on our signs, right? Courageous evangelism, purposeful disciple-making, strategic church planting. And we put that there to keep reminding ourselves that it's not about us. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about this mission. And it's time to put it into practice. It's time to do it. And so we as a church are looking at opportunities to reach out together. We have some ideas right now to engage the community. And those things are all good. We love that. But can I tell you this? The lost are not won through strategic plans. They are not won through programs. They are not saved by catering to their worldly appetites. These things can be helpful, yes. But how are people saved? How are they saved? They are saved by sharing the greatest, the most urgent news that you have, that you have been given, that you are charged with. They are saved by you being courageous, you being bold, you opening your mouth and speaking. If you know me well, you know the verse I'm going to go to next is Romans 10, verses 13 to 17. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We love that verse. you got to read on. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. For they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We have to be personally, one-on-one, -on -one, intentionally sharing this good news. It comes through us opening our mouths and speaking it. 
And this is daily. This is intentional. This is casting our nets into the sea of the world, going out as common, ordinary people, obeying the Lord's command to follow Him as His fishermen. And so how do we respond to this as a church? Are we just going to say, well, that's a good message. I, I agree with that. Or are we going to put it into practice? Are we going to look forward to this week that is ahead of us and be praying that God would bring somebody into our path that we can share this good news with? This is our primary objective. Yes, you have jobs. Yes, you have family. Yes, you have other things on the go. But your primary objective in this world is to be sharing this mission, sharing the gospel. And so we must go. We must go now. We must go with him now. His urgent calling commands our primary occupation. So when somebody in this world asks you, you meet somebody new and they ask you, hey, what do you do? What's your primary objective? I am a fisher of men. I have the news that can raise you to new life. That is who I am. And so let's do that together. We must go with him. So as his urgent message requires our immediate response, and this urgent calling commands our primary occupation, we're also going to see that you must prioritize him now. His urgent charge demands your utmost devotion. So we're going to begin this by asking ourselves some questions. Asking ourselves some questions of, of what's keeping us from pursuing the mission of Christ to its fullest. What things are getting in the way of us following and engaging the world? And so I, I just spent a little bit of time just thinking of some, some reasons. I just have four reasons that we don't prioritize the mission of Christ. And the first is this, I'm too busy. I'm crazy busy. Anybody say that? I say it, I think, all the time. I'm crazy busy. I've got too much going on. I work all the time. I put tons of hours. I've got two, maybe three jobs just to make ends meet. And on top of that, we've got to be here. We've got to be there. We've got all kinds of family obligations and events. We've got all kinds of things going on in our lives, activities. There is just no time. There's just no time. I'm too busy. Ask yourself, what am I busy with that is stealing time away from the mission of Christ? Are we busy by choice? Is all of it necessary? Probably not. Now, we're not saying that some of these things are not good in your life and that we shouldn't pursue them. We say yes, but if they are getting in between you and the mission of Jesus Christ... You need to look at what you're prioritizing. Number two, I'm too consumed. Very much associated with the first point, but I'm too consumed. We're, we're living in a hyper-media society. From social media to YouTube and Netflix, Spotify, Instagram, sports, 
television. We have massive amounts of entertainment and mind-numbing content coming at us from all sides. We live in an age of leisure. We're flooded with all kinds of appetizing entertainment. And what it does is it saps what little time that we have left to prioritize the mission. So first we're too busy. The next thing is I'm too consumed. I'm a consumer. Number three, I'm too afraid. I'm afraid that I'm going to be rejected. Friends, when it comes to fear, you have to weigh your fear of rejection against the amazing grace of God who sent somebody to you with that message that you were saved by. Remember the boldness of that person who came to you with the gospel. Let that quench your fear. The other thing is that we live in such a safe age. North America is such a safe place to live, but yet we are still afraid. Think about some of our Christian friends around the world who are being persecuted for their faith, being whipped and beaten and killed for the name of Jesus Christ, and yet we are afraid to walk across the street, to talk to that person on the train, to talk to that coworker, to talk to family. We're afraid of offending people. We're afraid of looking weird. You know what I have to say when it comes to being afraid of looking weird? Embrace the weird. Embrace it. We are weird in the sense that we are not from here. Our home is in heaven. We are strangers. We are aliens in this place. And so fear the Lord. Trust in Him. Jesus said in His great commission that He will be with us even to the end of the age. What do we have to fear? He is always with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's given us His Spirit. He's given us His Word. We have everything. We have nothing to fear, even death itself. We have eternal life. We have nothing to fear. Romans 1.16, For I am unashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. We have nothing to fear. Number four, I'm too apathetic. Which really means I just don't care. I just don't care. Christianity and faith is good for me, but as for me going to somebody else and sharing it, no way. If this is you, I'm scared for you. If you don't have a heart for the lost, I'm scared for you. Friend, we need to, we need to be looking at this world and seeing the fact that millions of sinners are dying every day in their sin. And they are not hearing this life-giving message that we have. It should break our hearts. We should have the same passion that the Lord had for us. Even thinking of Peter and that this is his gospel. He says later in his own epistle in 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The Lord is merciful and He is gracious. He had compassion towards you. Your job is now to have compassion for the lost. To not be satisfied to see the world going to hell. Love the lost. This is the greatest message they could ever hear. 
So these are only four reasons that I came up with. There is, there's many more. And all of these identify with me. My own busyness, my own consumerism, my own fear, my own apathy. And friends, I have a long way to go. And I'm sure that you have a long way to go. But God is faithful. Verse 19, and going on a little farther, he saw James and John, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So friends, again, we see two ordinary fishermen, and this call is the same by Christ, but we see something a little bit different in this account we see that there is a devotion to their family that is at hand. We see their father. We see their father's business. We see that they had obligations. They were mending nets. They were caring for their father's business. They would have been extremely devoted to their dad. And they would have been the ones to inherit this business. It was a really big deal. And it was a really big responsibility. But yet this Jesus, God himself, the Messiah, in all of his authority, calls out to them, and what do they do? The calling is so immediate and so urgent and with such authority that they leave their father. They leave him in the boat. They leave him with the hired servants. They drop everything. They walk away from their earthly priority to follow their heavenly priority and they follow Jesus. His urgent charge demands your utmost devotion. And so you must prioritize him now. Those words of Mark should resound in your head immediately is now. And so let's ask ourselves again, what obligations are we placing before our call to follow our Lord and Savior on this mission? It would be good as a family to go home this week, sit down and discuss together how are we going to make time to engage his mission together. What are some of these obligations that we hold so high that, that maybe we could cut here and there so that we can be fully engaged in our most utmost devotion to the Lord? Perhaps there's things that we need to repent of, things that we need to confess and encourage one another to join together and to be on the mission with high priority, to trust him, to be bold, to be fearless fishers of men, to use our time wisely because the days are evil. This quote from Thomas Watson says, Our work is great. Our time is short. Our master urgent. Friends, this message to follow Christ at all costs is, is, is fully saturated through his whole word. It's everywhere. You can't avoid it. And so as James would say, we are to be doers of the word, not hearers only. We need to resolve together to prioritize the mission of Christ and our life. Looking at our motivations. Our motivation is the grace of God and the gospel that has saved us. We also understand that, that we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do this. We need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to believe. The disciples themselves struggled to believe. They prayed to the, the Lord, help us in our unbelief. And so we need to believe Him now. His urgent message requires 
your immediate response. You need to go with him now. His urgent calling commands your primary occupation. You need to prioritize him now. His urgent charge demands your utmost devotion. This is the urgency of the follow me. It's urgent. It's every day. It's ongoing. It's spirit-empowered. It's gospel-motivated. All to the glory of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before you thanking you again, as always, that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. That it cuts deep. It exposes our sin. It exposes our apathy. It exposes our pride and our desire for self. Our desire to consume. It shows us our flesh shows us the temptations of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Lord, we thank you for doing that. We, we welcome this into our life. We welcome this, that, that you love us enough to show us the areas that we need to work on in the power of your Spirit, informed by your Word. So we thank you today by example of, of the disciples. We know that within themselves, within their own humani humanity, they would not have followed Jesus Christ. This is spiritually empowered. This is in the full authority of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as we look to them, as we look to what you are showing us in the Gospel of Mark here, that we would follow, that we would follow willingly, that it would be our utmost priority, our primary occupation, and that we would believe and hold on to it like that parachute that we would trust in you fully and not turn back. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this time. And we pray that we would walk out of here understanding and embracing your mission all the more. We thank you in the name of Christ.